Good morning. Welcome to the Vine. I'm Zach, one of the pastors here. So glad to see you here. Before we dive into our text, I just wanted to give a, a quick announcement. Um, our goal as a church is to be a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. And uh, this summer, you get to participate if you would like. There's a few slots left for you to participate in our side of that statement that refers to church planting among the nations. And so we have our annual church-wide trip to Ecuador where the requirement is simply this. If you have the capacity to love, serve, and be humble, um, we want you to go. If you're a member of this church, we want you to go. There is a lot of, um, of things that you can gain from this. Um, our guy James over here, wave your, wave, wave your hand, James. He's our, uh, hopefully next week, uh, solidified as deacon over Ecuador. You can talk to him afterwards. But we've got a few slots left for this trip. And, and we want to fill those slots because uh, it's good for you on a number of fronts. Number one, you get to have your heart expanded for the vision of God. You get to align yourself with his vision because he's not just a God of the United States or Madison, but of all nations, tribe, tongue, and nation are going to worship the Lamb on, on, at the end of all history in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the reality forever. And you get to tap into that when you go to have a cross-cultural experience. So that's really, really good. Number two is you get to have uh, your heart kind of expanded for what we're doing as a church. And it's a, it's a means to be more all in together for who we are as a church if you participate in something like this. And thirdly, you just get to meet more people. Anytime you go on a trip like this together, it, it solidifies relationships. So here's the action point. We want to fill up these slots um, the dates are July 15 through 22, and it costs 1500 bucks. If that's overwhelming to you, we were going to help you figure out how to raise that money. And uh, the action point is this. Reach out to Elliot Consini on Slack. Okay, there's something in the important channel right now that you can reference uh, on, on your Slack feed. So, man, let's get after it. I think it'd be really beautiful if we could fill those slots and it's, it's going to be a win, no matter what. And you'll have an amazing time. We're partnering with church planting down there, loving on some kids, maybe some day, day camp type activities, and partnering with Claudio and Stephen Sandy um, to see what we're called to do, just continue to move forward. All right? So uh, let's go for it. If, if, you, if you're able, uh, maybe, the, maybe the question is not, why should I go? Maybe the question is, why shouldn't I go? Okay? All right. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Exodus 18. Exodus 18. And let's pray together. Father, we are so needy this morning. We confess yet again that apart from you, we can do nothing. We want to submit ourselves to your word. We say, Lord, that um, we've got nowhere else to go. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So maybe your power through your word, by your spirit that reigns among us this morning, would you help me do that, Lord? May I just be a conduit for your power through your word, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So all of us in our lives at one point or another are probably extremely overwhelmed, right? It's happening to some of you right now, uh, or you can recall a time in your recent history where there's just too much to do. I have poignant memories of these emotions when I was in college and working as a server in a local sports bar. And I learned quickly um, that the ability to be a good server typically boils down to this, your ability to triage. Anybody with me on that? You understand what that means? Like, you have to be able to prioritize need and meet those needs based on the priority that you set in your mind. So there are times when you're waiting tables and it's really busy and everyone at each table needs something right now, right? And you're not omnipresent. That's the problem. You're not God, right? So you have to triage the priorities. And, you know, for me, I hated this because I've got a pretty strong people-pleasing streak in me and I want everyone to be happy. I want everyone to like me. I want to do a good job. And the reality, since I'm not God, is that people just had to wait because I'm not omnipresent. And so there were times when it got super overwhelming. And I have this poignant memory of a specific uh, weekend. So I, w- I lived in a college town of about 12,000 college kids in a town of about 50,000, uh, Cedar Falls, Iowa. And so on homecoming weekend, it was a big deal, and all the restaurants were packed, and we were packed, and it was like an hour wait, and it's kind of like you've been in those environments where there's people just all lingering around, and it's hot, sweaty, all these people, and um, everyone's, you know, hour wait. So I got like five tables, and I was seated, um, some people sat at my section who I kind of knew from church, but weren't really close with them. But, you know, I wanted to do a good job because they knew who I was. I knew who they were. But, man, I just couldn't keep up with the pace and, and remember everything and triage appropriately. And, and I just have this point in memory of, like, my, first, my worst day as a server. is like these folks had to wait, like, 30 minutes just for me to get a round of sodas or something for them. And um, they didn't say anything when I finally remembered how I screwed up and forgot about them. But their face said it all. You know, and then the, the shame descends upon you because you failed them. And... Um, Man, that night we just needed more workers. We were, we were understaffed and everyone suffered and people were grumpy and we just had this crush of people at the restaurant. Can any of you relate to those emotions, feelings like that, right? Too much to do and it feels like it all has to happen right now and triage feels impossible. That's not a fun place to be at all, right? Well, that's where Moses finds himself in our text for today in Exodus 18. See, Moses, as we've learned, is the leader with a capital L, like uh, the leader, T, capital T, capital L. And so this huge mass of people are looking to him to lead. And here's the issue. God's people are having a hard time getting along, okay? Now, we can relate to that in some sense, Scholars would estimate that there would be around 2 million people at this time. And they're on the move. They're heading towards the land that God promised way back to Abraham. And now it's a few centuries later coming to fruition. 
And this huge mass of people, God has been faithful to create a people for himself, and he's promised them a place to live, and they're headed toward that place with his presence among them. But the problem is these guys are sinners, and they can't get along. And, and they bring their disputes to Moses, because he's the leader, to kind of sort it all out and make judgments among them, okay? But the problem is Moses is trying to do it all by himself. And that's the big problem that's painted for us in, in chapter 18. So let me, let me summarize how it goes down, and then we'll look at a few texts in detail. At the beginning of chapter 18, we learn that Moses has a visitor. And the visitor is this guy by the name of Jethro. Now, you might remember Jethro because he showed up at the beginning of our, our preaching through the series uh, in Exodus. And he was the guy to whom Moses fled after Moses got in trouble for lashing out and killing that Egyptian slave master. You guys remember that? So Moses is a murderer. He's a sinner. And he's on the run. He's, now he's a fugitive. And so he finds refuge in this place called Midian. And in Midian, he meets Jethro. And Jethro takes him in, provides him sanctuary. And then all of this crazy stuff happens to Moses, right? God first meets with Moses right after he met with Jethro. And he calls him, and you're going to lead my people and let my people go, he says to Pharaoh, and all the plagues and parting of the Red Sea and all that happens, just like you've learned in our series. Well, as you can imagine, this was a big deal that Moses was a part of, right? He's at the center of some amazing moment of God's story from beginning to end. Moses is a key player. And as you can imagine, word gets out. So Jethro hears about all that has gone down with Moses many years later. And Moses, or I'm sorry, and Jethro decides, man, I want to go see this Moses guy. It's been a while. I want to catch up with him. He's married to my daughter. So Jethro comes to see Moses here in 18. And when he gets there, he notices right away that there's a problem. And the main problem that he notices is that Moses is trying to lead God's people all by himself. And do all this handling of disputes all by himself. So Jethro pulls Moses aside and he says this to him. This is starting in verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law, this is Jethro, saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it. So have you heard of this concept 
I'm new to this concept. Maybe you've heard of it called decision fatigue. Decision fatigue. Here's a quote on what decision fatigue is in an article I read this week from the New York Times. No matter how rational and high-minded you try to be, you can't make decision after decision without paying a biological price. It's different from ordinary physical fatigue. You're not consciously aware of being tired, but you're low on mental energy. The more choices you make throughout the day, the harder each one becomes for your brain. And eventually, your brain looks for shortcuts, either in, uh, either in, usually in either of two very different ways. So first of all, one shortcut is to become reckless, to act impulsively instead of expending the energy to first think through the consequences. Like, sure, just tweet that photo. What could go wrong? All right. The other shortcut is the ultimate energy saver, do nothing. Instead of agonizing over decisions, avoid any choice. Ducking a decision often creates bigger problems in the long run, but for the moment, it eases the mental strain. You start to resist any change. As a result, you start to resist any change, any potentially risky move. Now, can any of you relate to this decision fatigue? Moms, young moms, right? I, we'll get back to the young moms in a second, but I think the internet just breeds this. You know how, like, if you have a Netflix subscription and you start the infinite scroll of options of things to watch, and you're like, well, I could watch this, or I could watch this, or I could watch this. It's like, I'm just waiting to find the perfect thing to watch, and you can't decide because there's too many choices. And then after an hour, you're like, well, I guess I wasted my window of time where I could actually watch something because it took me too long to decide. Now I'm tired from all these decisions, Right? Or maybe you've got the Spotify uh, or Apple Music and there's 10 million songs at your disposal. I feel like that. I get in my truck. I'm like, what do I want to listen to? I don't know. There's so many choices. I don't even know where to start. How am I going to make this decision? Right? It's crushing. Any parents out there? Young parents? New moms and dads? I know there's a lot of new moms and dads here at the Vine. Man, when it comes to decision fatigue, if you're new at this parenting thing, I tell you what, buckle up. All right? I mean, we got four kids. This is my life, even more so my, my wife's life. You know, it's like, mom, mom, mommy, mommers, mama, mama, mom, hey, mom, hey, mom. You know, can we, can we, can we do this? Can I do this? Can they? What about this? Can we do this? Can we watch this? Can we have this? What about this? It's this unrelenting stream of requests, right? Right? Can I get an amen, young moms? Um. And some days that just wears you down, right? It wears you down. Decision fatigue. Like, I got to have one of my kids come up to me and say, Dad, I got a great idea. I'm going to light some things on fire in the backyard. Is that okay? And I'd just be like, whatever. I don't care. Like, just whatever. <laughs> right? I'm just tired of making decisions. Too many decisions. Well, all that to say, Moses, that's the, that, that's the picture of what Moses is dealing with in chapter 18. Too many decisions. And these aren't small decisions. These are weighty decisions that have consequence, consequences for his people. Right? Here's a summary of what we read starting in verse 13. Jethro comes to Moses and he says, Moses, check it out. You're alone. That's a big deal when there's two million people. And all the people, he says, 
all day long, all these heavy emotional disputes where decisions have consequences. And he says, what you're doing is crazy. It's bad for you and it's bad for God's people. This isn't good for anybody. Look at verse 18. You and the people with you will certainly, he's not wavering here, that's a, that's a strong conviction, you're certainly wear yourselves out. It's not a mystery, it's a certain fact. This is unsustainable. Why? For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able, you don't have the ability to do it alone. That might be the understatement of the year, right? This is crazy, Moses. This is completely unsustainable. You're human. You're finite. You're limited. You're going to burn out. And your people are not going to be helped when you burn out. When you're completely fried. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help them. Well, they've identified the problem. All right, so we got the problem. Now, what's the solution? Well, look at verse 19. Look at what Jethro says to Moses. Now, obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. And here's the promise. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So what do we have here? Well, Moses is still going to lead. He's still going to use his gifts. He's still going to keep God's word central before the people, right? And he's going to take the really hard cases. But the big deal that we see is that Moses has to delegate. He can't be a control freak. He has to delegate, right? He has to embrace his limitations, he has to get other people involved. See, God is the only one who doesn't have to delegate. He has no limitations. That's why he is God. God is God and we're not. Moses is not God. We are not God. Only God is God. So he has to delegate. He has to have other faithful leaders with him. But I want you to notice something as kind of a rejoinder to that. Notice something extremely important. Notice in this text the quality of the kind of leaders that Jethro dictates to Moses. See, he doesn't say just fill slots with warm bodies, does he? God's people have to be governed by a certain kind of person. Look at verse 21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, so what does that mean? Well, it means this. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and hate a bribe. So first of all, it says in verse 21, they have to be able, meaning they have certain abilities, certain capacities that will lend themselves to leading people well. Okay? 
They're not just warm bodies filling slots. They have the skills to do the job. So that's important. But it's more than that. It's not just having the right skills. It's not just ministry productivity. It's also ministry health, leadership health, okay? More than their abilities, it's their character. Did you see that? Look at what it says. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. So they fear God, meaning their vision is filled with who God is and what he's done. And as a result, they have a deep humility, a deep reverence, a deep respect. That's what fear of the Lord means. Like, we're not going to trifle with him because we love him. We respect him. He is God. I am not. And they're worthy to be trusted, men who fear God, who are trustworthy. Well, why would they be trustworthy? Well, they're trustworthy because of a descriptor here that's very vivid. They have an emotional response to bribery. They hate it. They're not just apathetic. They're not just lukewarm. No, they hate a bribe. Well, what does that mean? It means that their justice cannot be bought. They cannot be manipulated. They don't, um, they fear God more than they love money. And tragically, that gets reversed sometimes. Even more tragically in the church, may it never be. These guys hate a bribe. There's no justice when justice can be bought, right? Justice doesn't go to the highest bidder. So, so these are the kind of people that Moses is told to look for. And according to our text, if you look at verse 23, blessing is going to flow from this kind of structure to lead and guide and love God's people. Jethro says, if you do this, so there's a conditional relationship. If you listen, if you have a soft heart, open ears, if this, then this. Okay, so if you listen, what's going to happen? God's going to direct you. You'll be able to endure, and all these people will go to their place in peace. So three blessings. You're going to have the presence of God. He's going to be with you. You don't have to be a control freak, Moses, because God's with you. Okay, it's not all up to you, Moses. God is with you. So you get the presence of God. That's awesome. And number two, what do we got in verse 23? You're not going to burn out. You will be able to endure. So ministry is in, demands endurance, right? This is a, I say it all the time. Making disciples is a marathon, not a sprint. Okay? And so you're not going to burn out, Moses. You'll have endurance for the ministry marathon. That's a good thing. And then thirdly, what else does it say? And all this people will also go to their place in peace. These people will have a shalom. That's the biblical Old Testament word for peace. I mean, there'll be a, a sense of genuine calm and harmony and beauty in the community. It's the opposite of chaos. The opposite of shalom would just be chaos. God's people, and here's the, here's the big deal that God has for his people. He's called, for them, he's called them to be a light to the nations to be a blessing to the nations. And they can't be a blessing to the nations if they're in chaos. So Moses has to lead a certain way so that God's people can go on his mission to do what he's called them to do, right? So they can't be in complete relational chaos with one another. So we have to have intentional structures so that people can be managed and loved well and led well so they can do their job to be a light to the nations. 
So at the end, uh, the text tells us that Moses does listen, and it works well, and he's blessed, and the people are blessed. So thank God for the voice of Jethro in the life of Moses that blesses God's people. So what's the big point? I think the big point is that for God's people to thrive, it can't rest on one human person. For God's people to thrive, leadership can't rest on one single person. And here's the deal. This is the way it works today in, with God's people, the church. The church. There's much that the vine and any other church can learn from Exodus 18. We would say as well, we believe the New Testament teaches that Exodus 18 applies to the church in the sense that God's church is structured such that it doesn't fall on one person. We're structured that way as well. Okay, so what does that mean? What that means is if you're reading the, the New Testament when it refers to God's people, the church, it says that the New Testament church is to be governed by more than just one person by a group of men called elders. Elders. And all through the New Testament, when Paul is writing to different men who are going throughout the ancient world and planting churches, and he's writing letters to them as he's investing in them to see more churches planted, like he's investing uh, in the church in Corinth, and he's investing in Timothy and Titus, and he's investing in the church in Galatia, and he's investing in men that are planting churches in all these different cities— He never tells them to install a senior pastor. He never tells them to install a lead pastor. He tells them explicitly to install elders. And elders is always plural. It's never singular. The church is called to be led by a plurality of men who can lead, guide, and provide for God's people. That's the definition, biblical definition of shepherding. Lead, guide, and provide for God's people. And along with Exodus 18, here's what's really cool. Along with Exodus 18, number one, ability, and number two, character, are really, really important for these leaders of God's church. Let me just show you a sample, okay? This comes from 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. See if you can find the connections with Exodus 18. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer. Overseer is just another word for elder. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer or elder must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. All right, so let's think about connections here. Remember what Jethro said to Moses? That he, first of all, he needed to find what? Able men. Remember that? Meaning men who had capacities that were up to the task to lead and love people well, gifted for it. Well, that same word is used here in the English at least. God's leaders of the church have to be able to do something specific. Did you see it? Taylor, you go back a slide there. Yep. At the end there, what does it say? Able to do what? Able to teach. That's the main capacity that God's leaders have to have to be a leader in God's church, among God's people. 
That's the main capacity ability that we're called to look for in elders. That they're able to teach. Now, it doesn't mean that they have to be able to preach a sermon, but it does mean they have to, at minimum, be able to sit down with someone one-on-one and know good doctrine. So that they can disciple someone with good doctrine, with the truth of God's word. They can teach it, articulate it, disciple someone, or refute false teaching. If someone comes in and says, something crazy that doesn't correspond to God's word. No, an elder is able to teach in the sense that they can protect God's people and God's church from false teaching. That's the main ability that the New Testament says we should look for in our leaders. But other than that, did you see any other abilities listed there? When Paul says to Timothy, these are the kind of guys you got to have to lead the church. These are the kind of guys. I got one capacity and then the rest is what? It's all character issues, right? Things like trustworthy, hate a bribe, fear the Lord. Did you notice it's not like a list of ministry skills? Like he's got to be able to be commanding in the boardroom. That's not what it says. Right? These are all character qualities. These are descriptions of the kind of person God's church has to be led by. So here's one of the first application points for all of us in the room. I just want you guys to know where the elder job description is found in the Bible. And it's found in 1 Timothy 3, right here on the screen. 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, and 1 Peter 5. You should just write that in your Bible or write that down somewhere. Because for all of us to be a part of a healthy organization that is God's people, the church, we have to have high standards for those that lead at the highest level. And they are biblically explicit. And so you should know where that's found so that you can make sure that we're holding one another accountable. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5. It's just explicit. Instead of Jethro talking to Moses, it's Paul talking to an ancient church planter and saying, as you're establishing elders, it's got to be this kind of guy. It's got to be this kind of guy. As you're establishing a plurality of leaders to lead God's people, it's got to be certain abilities and certain character qualities. So as a church, it's all our job to make sure that we see these kinds of qualities in our elders. So this is why when we present new elder candidates, which we'll probably be doing in a couple months, that we give the whole church, all of our membership, two weeks to give us feedback. And the feedback we want to hear is, when you look at this explicit biblical description of who elders are, do you see that in this person? Because if not, we want to hear about it. And even for those that are are currently elders and full elders, you should always have an eye to hold us accountable. Like if you see us lacking what the Bible says as absolutely essential for leading God's people, we want to hear about it. And either there's going to be room for repentance and we repent and reconcile and move on, or there's room for removal. We take this very, very seriously This is God's word that's meant and given as a gift to bless his people. So we have to have an eye to this kind of leader. But another action point is this. Just like Moses and God's people back then, same with us. We need more leaders developed of this kind. We have to delegate authority for our gathering to be healthy. Just like Exodus 18. 
And we want you to know that we're in the process of that right now. So just as a piece of DNA of the vine culture that we think is completely biblical, every one of us should have an eye to developing somebody else. Okay? So all of us are a leader in some respect. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you're still a leader. You're leading your kids. Maybe you only have one other relationship at work that's really close. Well, there's probably some sense in which you're a leader there. I mean, if you just exist in the world, there's ways for you to develop other people. That's just called discipleship. Pouring yourself out for the sake of someone else's growth. And that includes evangelism all the way to maturity in the Christian life. So that's just who we are, and we have to constantly be doing that if we're going to be what I started this whole message with. That was our vision statement. We want to be a church that makes disciples and plants churches. So what does that mean? It means we're a sending church. So for us to send, we have to be developing and sending. We have to be developing and sending. So in our city groups, we're always thinking about, and who's the next leader up? How can we develop, invest, and send out? How can we keep doing that? How can we keep doing that? And we, do, we think about this with, we need more elders. We need more deacons. We're going to talk about deacons next week. We need more city group leaders. Because we're growing, we're growing slowly, we're not, but, we're not, but we are growing, so that constantly means we need to be developing more leaders. This is just part of our culture. So in addition to having a, um, a metric or a, a filter by which you look at the Bible and, and evaluate eldership, in addition, you should evaluate yourself right now. Where am I at with serving in the Vine Church to help develop more leaders? Or maybe I would like to be leading and so I need to figure out how I can do that more. Or maybe I need to receive feedback on how am I doing as a leader? Can you help me develop more? Does that make sense? There's just all these different overlaps for developing more and more leaders so that God's people can be loved in an Exodus 18 kind of way. And real simply, this is why we call you to be in a city group at the Vine. There's an Exodus 18 connection, right? Just like we see God's people being divided up into smaller groups, overseen by the right kind of people, same in our church. Just like Exodus 18, for the sake of healthy Christianity, we're divided up into smaller groups too so that we can love each other, live life together, be on mission together, so that hopefully we can be biblically healthy, Right? which will lead to the whole church living in peace with each other, like it said in Exodus 18, right? There should be a kind of shalom among us. See, Exodus 18 shines light on how our church is intentionally structured so that our community can be a beautiful place where an onlooking world can, can look in and go, wow, these people don't bite and devour each other. Man, I see that in the world. They just bite and devour each other. But this people, they have a unique shalom. they got a unique peace because they love each other well. They have humility towards one another. They're led well by leaders that model that kind of love and humility, that Jesus-style leadership. And when I get among them, there's something different about them. That's what we're shooting for. And that does, it doesn't happen just by accident. So that's why we call you to be in a city group. Because we know that these smaller groups that are led by, by diversity of people has a chance to make us really healthy. 
And just like ancient Israel, God's people can't be a beautiful witness to the world unless we're healthy. Spiritually healthy as God defines it in his word. And our city groups, Sunday morning city groups, are two means that we just call you to for that end of being healthy so that we can be a beautiful witness to the world. One final note, one final action point related to our text and and raising up more leaders for the sake of the church flourishing, and then we'll be done. So as elders, we're in the process of discussing our new budget year, and our new budget year starts June 1. And in a few weeks, we'll be having a membership meeting that we'll let you know about. We're going to talk details about this. But I just want to give you a heads up a little bit in advance. We're growing as a church slowly, and slow growth is, is good growth, in my opinion, and that's happening. Um, but we're at a point where it feels like it would be wise if we did some intentional just tweaking and maybe a little bit of adding to our staff for the sake of more leaders doing more things more effectively. And like I said, you'll be hearing about this more at the members' meeting. But just wanted to give you a heads up before then, because if, if we want to go where we think we're called to go, we want you to be thinking and praying about it. And the action point might simply be this for you. Um, if we're going to go where God might want us to go to be a healthy, thriving church, it might demand that we all together step up and just simply provide for it financially. Now, most of you in this room, are giving regularly, sacrificially, cheerfully, as the Bible prescribes it. But if you're a member and you're not, we, we don't call you to leave here with a guilt trip. That's not what this is. We're not coming for your money. God doesn't need your money. He's got cattle on a thousand hills. But he wants your heart. And your heart, the Bible says, is connected to your money. And so the question is this. If I'm not giving radically, sacrificially, regularly, generously, cheerfully. If that's not happening, we just want you to not leave with a guilt trip, but just leave asking, why is that the case? Like if, I've, if I have the impulse to want to be stingy with my money or stingy towards God's mission and God's people trying to come alongside one another and, and, and by the word and the spirit see God's, God's vision for the nations and for our neighbors manifested among us. If I'm stingy with that, like, where's the disconnect? I just want us to ask the why question. Like, why is that the case? Is it because maybe I have baggage with a church that was all about money and those leaders didn't have integrity, so I'm scared? Well, let's talk about that. Or maybe I just don't trust or really love the vision of this church Well, let's talk about that. Maybe we could find a church where you are excited about the vision, right? Whatever it is, we don't want you to leave here with a guilt trip, but we do want to call you to be biblically generous. Because we know that's good for you. It's good for us. It's good for all of us. And that's how, that's one way that God's church moves forward in the world with health. And so as we seek to enable more leaders to help out at God's church, Uh, We just need to come alongside that. And so there's going to be more um, info about this in the future. But I think the key with generosity is, man, just remembering that our God has been so generous with us. Right? I mean, the essence of the gospel is generosity. Christ pouring out not his, his wallet, no, his very life for us. That's the height of generosity. And then he calls us to follow him into it. And so if that's my vision, 
And that's going to empower me to want to be like him because I know how, how deeply I've been loved. We, we, we think God has some really great things in store for us as we submit to him and his vision for his people. When God's people are loved well and served well and led well and leadership is given away, and when, and when this happens, our church will have a chance to be really healthy and healthy churches look really attractive to an onlooking world. That's what we're called to, and so let's do it together. All right, let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you so much for your word to us. May you continue to cause, um, through your word and your spirit, your people to be changed into your likeness so that we can be a blessing in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.